Let's pray. Loving Father, come speak to us now through your word. Send your Holy Spirit on us so that we can understand what you're saying to us and how to live our lives in this week ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning and uh, greetings to you from the Vicarage. Uh, Today is Saturday. I tested positive on Thursday, which means I can't be with you today. Uh, Fortunately, my isolation began just as Jess has ended, but it's been a week of working from home and homeschooling and all the joys which come with that. This morning, we're wrapping up our series on lessons from life in exile from Daniel. And I guess in some ways I'm experiencing a little exile of my own. Uh, Of course, legally, I don't have to stay at home now, but let's agree it would have been unwise for me to come and breathe all over you while still testing positive. I've really enjoyed getting into this book of Daniel over the past couple of months. And as I've said many times now, I feel that there's a real resonance for us as uh, we consider what it means uh, to be the church today. Remember the themes we've explored. We've seen how Daniel and his friends, through no fault of their own or through no choice of their own, certainly were trafficked abroad as young men and then trained for service in the court of Babylon. And we saw that they resisted the urges to assimilate, uh, let's call that the chameleon approach, or to withdraw and hide, that's the kind of turtle tactic, Um, or even to go on the offensive in the situation. But instead we saw they knuckled down, they studied, they learned the culture carefully, and they spoke with wisdom and tact, remember that, and they chose carefully when and where to make a stand. And they worked to bless their host culture. And uh, I think those are all pointers for us when we look at the world around us and wonder how we stay faithful to Jesus in what can feel in some ways like a foreign culture. It's worth saying that there's so much more in Daniel that we could have got into, um, not least the dreams and visions that we read about in chapters 7 to 12. Uh, Maybe we'll do a series on those one day. Um, And in fact, this would be a good moment for me to credit some of the influences for this series and to signpost you if you're looking to dig a little deeper yourselves. As ever, can I commend to you the work of the Bible Project, uh, particularly their book on um, their book overviews of Daniel, um, also their videos on the theme of exile. Uh, Just look up some of those keywords on YouTube under the Bible Project. So search the Bible Project Daniel or, or search the Bible Project Exile. Um, Then there's this book, which is called um, Singing in Babylon by Jeff Lucas. I'll just hold it there for a moment. This is where this whole idea of uh, second choice living comes from. Um, It's a really engaging, witty and uh, profound reflection, really, on Daniel's struggles, which I think speak to us perfectly in the kind of COVID pandemic world. I think he wrote it in the early part of the pandemic. Finally, along with other commentaries, I've benefited hugely from some of the teaching um, in, uh, from Bridgetown Church in Portland, Oregon, um, which we've mentioned before. They did a series on Daniel, I think, back in 2016. Um, so a little while ago now called Becoming a Creative Minority in Exile. And if you go and listen to it, you'll discover many of the themes and ideas that are featured in this series. And uh, this morning, I, I really just want to wrap up just a few few loose ends. Please don't feel panicked by the four readings. Uh, thank you to whoever wrote, read those. Um, I'm only going to touch on each one briefly, but they all play a role in helping us um, understand Daniel's experience um, and how it all relates to the bigger picture. 
You know, it's really important for us to see how the Bible holds together um, as one unified story leading to Jesus, right? So let's jump in first with Jeremiah. Jeremiah, one of the longest books in the Bible and uh, not a particularly happy read, um, is written before the exile, so before Daniel's time, and, uh, and God is warning his people what's going to happen if they continue to reject him and live outside of his blessing, which of course they did. And in chapter 29, we get this famous verse. It's a verse that many Christians know. We use it at times to encourage one another. And it says this, this is verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Put your hand up if anyone has ever shared that verse with you as an encouragement. I can't see you, obviously. But anyway, my hand is up and that's fine. And it's true that God has Uh, plans for us, uh, good plans, including a future and a hope. I believe that for each one of us. But what we see in the verses leading up to this verse is that Jeremiah spoke those words into a specific context when he was talking to God's people about how to live when the coming exile happened. And we have good reason to believe that Daniel was familiar with those words in exile. That's what the book of Daniel seems to show. And so he knew God's will was for them in exile to settle down and to engage with the culture and to seek its blessing. Imagine that, being told to bless those who invade you and take you into captivity. And God is saying, this is going to be your reality for 70 years. Get used to it. But it's not dead time. And God has a mission for them within captivity. And after those 70 years, he says he will bring them home. These words seem to have shaped the whole of Daniel's life and his approach to exile. And we still see them being borne out in these final verses in Daniel chapter 12. So Daniel uh, has all these visions from within captivity about God's deliverance, both um, at the end of the 70 years, but also much more beyond that. It seems something further in the future. And those visions, of course, are about Jesus and, and about the final victory of God's kingdom over sin and evil and death and suffering. And in the midst of this, in verse eight, essentially, Daniel asks, when, when is this all going to happen? This uh, salvation, this rescue. And God gives him an answer that presumably he doesn't really want to hear. In verse nine and then again in verse 13, um, God says to him, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you the time of all this, the timing. In fact, it seems that God is saying that Daniel himself will not return to the land when the exile ends. He's going to end, he's going to die in Babylon. We're going to jump again. If you're following in your Bible or on your Bible app, switch to 2 Chronicles chapter 35, 36, rather those final two verses. I realise I'm taking a certain amount of knowledge of the Bible for granted this morning. Sorry if that um, leaves you feeling a little bit lost. It's just something I really wanted to stitch together as we finish this series. If you want to know how to get into the Bible more, come speak to me. Um, Not today, obviously, uh, but come speak to me. I'll be glad to help. For those who are familiar with the book, um, of the, or have it familiar with the Bible as we have it today, Chronicles feels a little bit like a strange book. It comes straight off the back um, of the book of Kings and Chronicles often feels like a bit of a rehash of Kings, doesn't it? There's a, a lot of repeated materials, particularly around the end, end, end of David's reign and Solomon and the civil war and, and the events leading up to the exile. However, Chronicles actually does more. It starts right at the very beginning. The first word in Chronicles is 
Adam. Um, and the last verse which we heard uh, tell of the, uh, the last verses that we heard tell of the end of the exile and the return to Jerusalem. So in fact, Chronicles summarizes, Chronicles, the whole story of the Old Testament. And in fact, um, in the Jewish scriptures, Chronicles is the final book, um, not Malachi as we have it. I don't know why we uh, rearranged that. So the point is this, these two verses in 2 Chronicles 36 bring to a close the Old Testament and the people return and build a temple. And then that's it. Uh, and until, you know, sort of 400 years later, a man from Nazareth claiming to go, be God um, starts to cause a stir. Let me just read those two verses again. This is verse 22. In the first year uh, of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word the Lord has spoken by Jeremiah, fulfilling Jeremiah, yes, see how this connects up. The Lord moved the heart of uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout the realm and to put it into writing. And the proclamation is basically that the people of Israel can go home and rebuild the temple. Final diversion. Well done if you're keeping up. Back to Daniel 6, where we were last week. The lion's den. At the end of that chapter, we read, we read verse 28. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus. Footnote, the Persian. What's the footnote? The footnote says, or Darius, that is the reign of Cyrus. And what historians believe may be the case is that Darius, who, you know, put, um, um, who, you know, Belshazzar, Belshazzar um, dies, the Medes, Persians take over Babylon, Darius comes into power, and then we get this power struggle that we read about last week between the satraps and the chief ministers. So Darius, who put Daniel in the lion's den, and by the way, in that story, verse 25, he wrote a decree afterwards to all nations that everyone must now fear and reverence the God of Daniel. And Cyrus who we've just seen at the end of Chronicles making a similar proclamation and sending the exiles back to Jerusalem. So Darius and Cyrus are the same person. I, why just have one royal name when you can have two? Apparently this theory holds up quite well. So in Daniel 6, Darius is in anguish when Daniel is in the lion's den. Darius is in anguish. And then he rejoices when Daniel emerges alive. In Chronicles, it says that God caused King Cyrus's heart to be moved. It doesn't say uh, what or how that was done. But do you see that possibly would make the lion's den, Daniel 6, which came about, remember, because Daniel refused to interrupt his practice of prayer, the defining incident which brought about the end of the exile, as Jeremiah said, you know, 70 years after it began. 70 years after Daniel is taken as a young man. Which means that Daniel is an old man in that lion's den. But after everything that he and his friends went through, God used him to end the exile. How good is that? A happy ending after all. But remember Daniel 12. Because remember Daniel is not going to get to go back to Jerusalem with the others. God has told him you're staying and you're dying here in Babylon or Persia or wherever he was at this point, which is almost certainly not what Daniel would have chosen. History lesson over. Are you still with me? I'll never know. So what's the point in all this? Exile was a bad thing for Israel in the grand scheme. It was a punishment after all, but it wasn't a bad thing for Daniel. And I suggest it's not a bad thing for the church. In fact, for the church, exile is meant to be the norm. That's what we heard in 1 Peter 2, uh, written to the early church. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles 
to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, live such good lives amongst the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. So like Daniel, exile is right where God wants us to be until he brings us home in the fulfilment of all things. We are to live as foreigners in the land. And like Daniel, that might not always be an easy experience. Somebody said to me last year, um, as I was beginning another vicar, he said, I'm so glad that I'm not uh, starting out right now. The landscape is so difficult, pandemic, decline, divisions over all sorts of things within the church. Um, and you know, really the whole way that we understand identity and the concept of freedom. And the point was, he was saying, in many ways, the church is on the margins today in culture. And that's just the truth. And it is true. But the Bible says that perhaps that's not a bad thing. In fact, perhaps this is exactly where God wants us. And the key for us, like Daniel, is not to panic, but to ask God, what does it what does he want from his church in this time? And I think that Daniel's wisdom is for us today. Don't hide. Don't fold. Don't go on the attack. Bless, love, influence, challenge, serve. Let me just read those instructions from Jeremiah again. Um, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those who are going to be going into exile. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We are called to this city. We are called to live here and to seek the peace and prosperity of this city. Every bit of it. Yes, Ivy Bridge, but not just Ivy Bridge. And to pray to the Lord for it. That is why the Lord has brought us here. Not just us, you, all of us. And that's our calling as the church today. As God's people living in exile, living in the now, but the not yet. Um, Eugene Peterson said of the church, the now is Babylon. The power of God is given for your exile. Our lives with all the hardships, the struggles, the anxieties, the fears, the sickness and the death are worth more than it seems. They are not the signs of an impotent God who can't help you, who cannot save us um, or who does not love us or is not working out his sovereign purposes in and through us. To quote one of my favourite films, The Princess Bride, life is pain, highness. Anyone who tells you otherwise is uh, selling something. I'm not going emotional. I just choked for a moment. (laughs) Just ask Daniel. Just ask Christians in Ukraine right now. But in the midst of it, we have a mission. We are the church of all souls. Remember uh, our series on that from last term. Having or rather being a soul means, Dallas Willard, you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny in God's great universe. How could your life be of uh, little significance? However hard, however easy, however long or short it is this side of the grave, God has purposes and plans for us as his people, even in exile. 
which is why it's so important that we take our time to pray and to understand what our calling looks like today, our vision and our strategy. In a week of many striking, bewildering, uh, heart-wrenching images, one that stays with me is of a, of a group of about eight people in the eastern Ukrainian city of uh, Kharkiv, kneeling down in the town square to pray. And I can't begin to uh, guess why they did that, but I'd like to imagine that it wasn't sheer desperation alone, but a conviction that this was what God was calling them to do in this moment, uh, seeking his purposes. Like Daniel in chapter six, they turned to public prayer, perhaps praying for God to turn the hearts of their oppressors to show them mercy and even asking God to bless their enemies. I don't know what's happened to them now. Perhaps, you know, they're right in the midst of the lion's den. But for someone like me, who can at times have an unhealthy appetite for news and current affairs, I'm trying to uh, redirect some of the kind of endless, fruitless scrolling into praying for that group of eight and others with them who are trying to follow the way of Jesus, like Daniel and his friends when Jerusalem was surrounded and conquered. But that image is, um, it also reminds me of another story that I know from the Cold War in East Germany, the end of the Cold War, when uh, prayer meetings called by Christians led to the protest movements and marches that brought down the wall. Um, There's an amazing story, which I'll um, save for another day. But we had a friend whose father was uh, one of the key church leaders involved in those prayer meetings and marches, that movement, and ended up as well beyond that, providing refuge to um, uh, Erich and Margot Honecker um, after the fall of East Germany. It's an astonishing story. All of which to say, don't underestimate the importance of prayer in this time. Prayer for followers of Jesus in Ukraine right now and prayer for the world to find out uh, a way out of this mess. Again, please remember I've recorded this in advance and I don't know what else may have happened in the last 24 hours. And yes, amidst it all, let's remember what we've seen in Daniel of empires rising and falling. You know, one Babylon comes after another. Um, They all ultimately have feet of clay and they all will ultimately fall. And the second half of Daniel is really all about our hope being in uh, the one king whose kingdom will never end, whose reign will increase until it fills the whole world. The lamb that was slain, who loved his enemies and dies to make us his friends, King Jesus. That's the good news which drives the mission of this church in every age, in every context. That's our calling as the church in exile today, to live and proclaim that in a culture that so desperately needs Jesus and for the church to show them the way of Jesus. Before we pray, I'd like to end with some words almost as old as the church itself. Uh, They appear in a letter written to somebody called Diognetus uh, sometime in the second century AD, who was investigating the the way of Jesus and, and the early Christians and trying to sort of make sense of what their doctrines were. And this is a section from that letter. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners. As citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if foreigners. Every foreign land is to them as their native country, and every land of their birth as a land of strangers. 
They marry, as do others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. They have a common table, but not a common bed. They are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They pass their days on earth, but are citizens of heaven. They obey the prescribed laws and at the same time surpass the laws of their lives, in their lives. They love all and are persecuted by all. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are reviled and yet they bless. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers. Undergoing punishment, they rejoice because they are brought to life. Let's pray. Father, would you teach us how to live in exile today? As the church on the margins, seeking to bless and to serve and to influence and to challenge and to stay faithful to you in the world today. Would you empower us by your spirit? And Lord, would you bless Christians the world over and especially those in Ukraine today who are seeking to live faithfully to you in the midst of really difficult circumstances? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.